0: To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. And boy, let me tell you, he is a heavy hitter. So he's five years into his analytics career at this point, and he started off working at UPS as an analyst, then over to Verizon, and he is now currently working at Google as a senior analyst. In this episode, Hunter Brown facilitates a conversation with Antonio and our career service student, Corey Dunn. Now, Corey is roughly about five years or so into his career as well, and looking to transition back into analytics. So we had three years of experience as a financial analyst, and the last two have been as an accountant. So this is an episode just jam-packed full of actionable insights. One quick announcement before we start the episode is that if you wanna be in the same exact seat that Corey's in, we are now accepting applications for our last career services cohort of 2022. In this program, you get to work directly one-on-one with me via coaching calls. But I also run you through a curriculum that I developed to refresh you on the core analytics concepts. And I'm also giving you access to my data. So in that course, we run through Excel, Power BI, and Tableau. But you're working through real case studies. And this really makes your portfolio pop. So if you're applying for a sales analyst job... I can pull my sales data, and we can build an entire case study around sales performance. So not only do you have a killer portfolio, but it's speaking the exact language that your hiring manager speaks day-to-day in their business function. If you want more information about that program, click the link in the description down below. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy the episode. (music)
1: to how to get an analytics job podcast where today we're joined by two brilliant people antonio uh antonio how do you pronounce your last name
2: ivanovsky but you can call me ai
1: ai we're joined by ai and Corey, who is one of our students in the career services for silverton analytics welcome both of you to the podcast so ai um tell me a little bit about uh about yourself about your work experience
2: yeah, so I started off my career by after going to Montclair State University here in New Jersey, I started my career as an intern at UPS. Uh, was an intern slash co op for about a year until I until I graduated. Right, I wasn't about to get my I wasn't allowed to get a full time job until they saw that diploma. Uh, Even though they just took my word for it, honestly, not that I think about it. They never asked to see it. I could have just told them I graduated even (laughs) if I hadn't. I worked there in some some fraud analytics for a brief time. Uh, Afterwards, I switched to Verizon, where I was business intelligence from senior analyst, lead to switching to uh, a different team as an AI product manager. I always used to say that. That was kind of like... i was meant to do since my initials are ai and i was working on ai Um, and uh, that was that was fun for a year and um, afterwards i switched to google actually went being to be an analyst so we can cover that kind of why i did that i think that's like i have some good experiences of uh, going from analyst to product manager back to analyst Um, so now for a little more than a year, I've been at Google. Um, I work in, in trust and safety. More is ad spam, so we protect uh, Google's customers from making sure when they pay to be shown ad, to be shown ads or to advertise somewhere, make sure they're actually getting in front of the right person at the right time, and they're not being uh, just spammed by by bad actors and such. So that's a little bit about me.
1: So you switched you talked about switching careers a number of times um, and I'd imagine there's quite a few similarities and differences with being a project manager and being an analyst. Do you want to talk about some of those?
2: Yeah. So, so it's a, it's a little sudden. So you said project manager uh, and that's, uh, that's actually, uh, it's not cool that you said that. So I was a product manager. Oh, I'm sorry. And no, it's okay. So I didn't, until I started doing these things, I didn't know uh, what the differences are. So if, Product manager, kind of you have a, a a product, as the name calls it. And let's say it's like some kind of we had an AI product that we were trying to build for Verizon. So as a product manager, I am kind of the middle person between the business and the data science teams and data engineering. And uh, I think it's a very important role because people who are in the business, let's say in the marketing department, They want something solved, right? They have a problem. They need to get in front of more people and automatically say, oh, why don't you build me a machine learning model? They go to the data scientist. But a lot of times they don't know if they need a machine learning model, right? They just heard it somewhere and it sounds cool and everybody's doing it. So let's just build machine learning. (laughs) Um, On the other hand, the data scientist knows how to build a machine learning model. That's what they're trained to do. But they don't understand always the business, right? They will build maybe a model that's very accurate, and but maybe you don't really need the accuracy, maybe you need a recall or precision, and we can talk about those if you if you guys want more. But so you need somebody like a product manager, also it's also called like analytics translator, which I, I like that as well. Is that we were kind of versed in the business and knowing what's happening there. Also at the same time versed in the data science talk. So we can kind of communicate the two. Uh, fun fact is that like out of the AI projects that fail, it's very rarely because of technology. It's like somewhere in the sorts of like 70 to 80 percent of AI projects fail because of uh, because of communication issues rather than technology issues. So that was kind of like what got me into that. Um but just to finish up what you, uh, I was telling you about the product versus project manager, the project manager is the person who makes sure everything is done on time. Like, yeah. so, hey, Antonio, you said machine learning, right? It's going to be done in two weeks. Where is it? Uh, this is going to be done in three weeks. Is it, is it there yet, right? So the product manager doesn't do that. That's what a project manager does. But it's, it's like they could have probably picked different names because I always used to get confused as well.
1: Yeah. So you're very good at communicating these business problems to dated people. Um what is what is one of the biggest mix-ups or confusions that data people have when it comes to working in, in a business setting you're getting comfortable with business acumen
2: I mean I think it's that we are very much focused on the data right uh and sometimes your depends which job you're at maybe you might be split between different departments and when you're focused on the data you don't understand how that model is going to get used, right? Um, let's say you're a, like a telecom company, like a T-Mobile or Verizon, and you build a model predicting which phone customers are going to buy. Well, the machine learning model that you're going to build is one thing, but understanding the other part of how our customers buying it, right? How are, are, is this going to be, this model going to be used in the stores? Is it going to be used in an online digital setting? What are the habits of the customers? Uh, is uh, is marketing, how is marketing going to use it, right? Do they need an updated like daily, monthly? Like how, I mean, obviously they don't need a monthly, right? But how long should it switch? So it's just like little nuances like that. If you're not in touch with the business that you sometimes things could go wrong, right? You make some assumptions and then the, the marketing team will be like, that's not what we were looking for. We were looking for something like that. So finding that I always, as I say, data scientists, whenever you're building a project, go inside the business and find somebody who is a domain expert who knows the business inside and out. Like doesn't matter if they're a finance, a marketing guy, somebody who's been there long, who knows what they're doing and ask them questions, right? Don't assume anything because you know data, they know the business. So having work together is very important. I mean, in today's world, I don't think you can just be like a like a one man, one man, one woman show where you know everything because it's, it's very complex systems out there,
1: right? So, for someone who is more technological, you would say that it, it to help them understand uh, business processes, it would you say that it's more along um, trying to get involved in the company and ask, Hey, uh,
2: what does this, this, and this mean? or does it exactly depend on a company
1: by company basis. Yeah.
2: yeah no you have to get involved you have to you have to ask somebody don't be afraid to ask questions right um i think a lot of times we like to see as as data people um we want to like i mean we're because you're technical we could get a little cocky sometimes i've been there in the past like oh i know data this person like just knows like microsoft word right and i'm like oh but it, it's, don't get carried away because the person who knows just Microsoft Word, they're very skilled in, in something else. Um, so, for example, I, I've built in the past, like, Tableau dashboards, right? You build a Tableau dashboard, it does so many different things. And you can ask us, so many business intelligence people, the first thing they ask is, how do I put this into a PowerPoint slide? <laughs> and you're like... I, yeah, it's not the point of a Tableau dashboard is not to go into a PowerPoint slide. That's why it's interactive.
1: Do you you think it's better to explain something like that to them or to adapt more to what they're looking for?
2: I think, or like a mixture of both. I think it's a mixture of both. Understanding the reason. A lot of times they have to present it to like a higher VP person who doesn't want to wait for the Tableau dashboard to load, right? So this is the part that you mentioned of understanding the business process, because right, sometimes the Tableau dashboards can be a little slow or you don't want to maneuver it. They know the exact number they want. They don't need to drill down three, four different pages. So they just want to put it into their PowerPoint slide. And at first, honestly, it used to frustrate me. Like, no, I built this beautiful dashboard. You have to use it. And now it's like, if you want to print it out and carry it around like a notebook, I really don't care. As long as it brings value to you, I'm here to serve you. And I'm here to bring value to the business. I don't really care how you use this Tableau dashboard, right? <laughs> I mean, that's ultimately is the business is there to make money and you're there to help it. So it's just kind of being being humble and just going with what they want. Well, while
1: we're on the topic of dashboards and maybe maybe the more technical side of things, I'm just gonna ask it um, which which programs and whatnot do you use over have you used over the course of the years? I mean, you mentioned you had SQL knowledge and you worked on Tableau.
2: Yeah, I started with SQL and Python. I think everybody that I talk to, I think Python is the standard language across and not just across data science, is a stand, like software engineering. I have a friend I met the other day. He works for NASA and he like I don't know, they're like building satellites and stuff. He uses Python, you know. Uh talk to people who work on the blockchain web three, a lot of them use Python for stuff. App developers. So that's the only reason why I kind of recommend Python over a language like R. Nothing wrong with R, right. But Python is more like if you branch out or if you want to switch to a different industry, I think Python is more widely used. But mm-hmm. from other tools, uh started with Tableau just because it was used in my school. Uh I've used Click, I've used Power BI. Uh now at Google we use internal tools that are only meant for, for Google because the size, the scale of the data at Google, like if you put the scale of the data at Google at Tableau, the computer is probably gonna start smoking. <laughs> because of this this is just the volume of data that is there, so you need internal tools that are just made just for that um, they're not necessarily better than tableau right they don't look maybe they don't look as pretty sometimes, but just the the scaling issue is functionality functionality exactly it's made for uh what it needs to do um, and I think that's the thing um people who are making a resume and that was I think that's why one of the things I was always when interviewing. If you, if you know Tableau and you go out there and you're applying for a job and it says Microsoft Power BI, and let's say you've built five dashboards in Tableau, all of my friends, I'm like, just put Power BI. They're like, well, I haven't done it. I'm like, so take the dashboards. You have the data of the dashboards you've built. You know what the data is. You know the charts. You know everything. Just download Power BI two hours. Just recreate everything the same. Like, doesn't don't change a color. Don't change anything. Just recreate the same things. And now, you know Power BI and Tableau. All of right. a sudden, you're double the market, right? Do the same thing. Next weekend, sit down, download, click. Again, the same dashboards. And what that gives you an advantage is now you know three tools when you're applying for different jobs. So you can't say, oh, I don't know Power BI. Uh, but... At the same time, you've been doing these projects over and over again, right? So now you've done this same project, same dashboard three times. When you go into an interview and they ask you a question, hey, Hunter, hey, Corey, ask, tell me about a time you've used Tableau or tell me, tell me about a time you Power BI. You're going to be like a machine because you've seen this data so many times that you're just going to know it like the back of your hand. So I think it's, it's having the confidence to do that. But at the same time, it takes... It's a competitive market out there. So just doing things like that, going above and beyond a little bit is what could help you. And you don't have to lie, right? You don't have to say like, oh, I've used the Power BI for 10 years. You could say, hey, I originally started off as Tableau, but I have used Power BI. I'm I'm learning it. Here is some proof. Uh, When I used to go for an interview and I had done the same thing, I said, I just started using Power BI like uh, last month, but here is proof of what I have done. I would send them an email after the interview of the dashboards I've built. It's all online. They're able to go through it We're like, "Oh, okay, this person has been doing this for one month. They already know what they're doing. Imagine what they're how good they're going to be after using it for a year or two mm-hmm. years, you know?" So just little things like that about having confidence and marketing yourself that can make a big difference in the interviewing process.
1: Yeah, so you mentioned just showing the work that you've done. I think a lot of people struggle to uh, want to show their own projects because I think they think it's imperfect or there might be a problem with it. Um, would you say that it's more valuable to just get something out there than nothing?
0: We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. 100%
2: and... I think the other thing is a lot of people try to make it fancy where you have so many different gadgets and so many different things. The more impressive thing and the more important thing is what problem are you solving? A lot of times, just just go on your dashboard, put one chart, make it big and show kind of like what, what why you're solving this, why you're interested in that like i used to use one uh i used to watch a lot of football i still watch a lot of football and i had downloaded one dash uh, from kaggle a data set on nfl players getting arrested and uh, i worked on that i i perfected it i knew every single data point in there because of how many times i used it i even won like competitions with it when i was at villanova for my masters i used it for job interviews and when they asked me like hey What's, what's this dashboard? I was like, oh, you know, I downloaded it off of Kaggle and you know, I just did it for the heck of it. I was like, a lot of NFL players are signed, even have multiple arrests. On this chart, you can see all of the players who've been arrested multiple times. You can see the teams that are signing these players. If you take a look at these teams that are signing these players who have off field issues, they haven't won a Super Bowl in the last 10 years. As if I was a consultant on an NFL team, I would recommend if somebody has been arrested more than three times, do not sign them. Doesn't matter how good they are. Doesn't matter how talented they are. As a general manager of the NFL team, I would not sign them all because of this data. So now I just went from somebody who's unemployed and delivering pizzas on the weekend, which is like what I did before, to they're like, well, okay, this person is like a general manager in the NFL, you know, so... <laughs> Just I just I talk like I, I when I talk about a dashboard, I talk as if I am a consultant trying to bring you business, you know, uh, I, a lot of people post it on LinkedIn and I see it or when I've asked people for interviews, I'm like, hey, why would you work on this project? And their answer is, well, my professor made me do it. I'm like, do not ever say that in an interview. <laughs> Corey,
1: you look like you're about to jump out of your seat.
3: No, I, well, it was just funny because I I actually looked at your GitHub uh, earlier, I think yesterday, and I looked at the exact uh, the NFL um, that you did. It was pretty cool, and that was one of the questions I was going to ask. you Is where do you get interesting data like that? And you mentioned Kaggle, so yeah,
2: yeah, Kaggle, and that's the thing I did. So you on GitHub, you saw it. I did it in R. Yeah, that was because for one of the jobs, I needed R experience. I had, I had done R, but never visualizing stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just took my Tableau dashboard, I visualized it in R. <laughs> All of a sudden, I have a project in R that I was able to show. Um, but there's a data sets, Kaggle. Yeah, I also have some web scraping experience I used to do with Python back in school. So sometimes I would go on uh, even R. R is even easier. I should probably do a tutorial on that because it's very easy to scrape data using R. Um, so just you can you can scrape some tables if it's easy but just different sites even google like just google fun data sets or something interesting data sets and
1: things Mm. come up corey did you have another question
3: um um not right now okay yeah Um, well so so
1: uh antonio you were talking about uh solving solving a problem not worrying about getting too fancy with anything um, has there ever been a circumstance where you've solved the problem going into an interview for a company?
2: Uh, like, if you mean like, have I solved a problem for the company? Well,
1: so here's what I'm here's here's mm-hmm. what I'm remembering that we had a podcast guest on not too long ago. I, I wish I could remember their name, mm-hmm. but they saw as they were applying in the HR program for a company. They noticed a problem here, there, and everywhere, and they he showed up or he or she I think it's a he showed up day one. With a solution, to, like a data-driven solution for their HR problem,
2: that's pretty um, cool. I think that's above and beyond because it's a lot of times it's hard to know what problems they have or getting the data access. But if that person was able to have a some kind of a data solution, that's I've never done that, so that's even a that's a different level. Well, uh, so
1: you said you said sometimes it's hard to get information about companies. How so in the hiring process? What. When you when you were applying for jobs, how did you first start getting into? It? How did you how did you do all the research? How did you you know get yourself into the company?
2: Um, well, I mean, I think I have I've had the advantage of just working for bigger companies like UPS. I know what UPS. Everybody knows UPS, Verizon. Kind of Google what they do. Um, to get e- extra information, I like to read their annual report. Just. I don't read the whole thing. Just read the what is a description kind of what do we do? Who are our competitors? Look at their like revenue sheet just to understand a little bit of it. Um, also, if you could find somebody that you know uh, who works there, when I was I uh, when I started at UPS, I had met the recruiter. Uh, he went to the same university as me, so I was kind of able to to ask him questions about the company and the culture. But other than that, I mean. I like to think myself as a data person. I'm like, I don't care what company I work for. As long as I get to do data, I'm happy with that. Um, So it was just kind of like, oh, you're going to do fraud analytics at UPS. Okay, cool. Afterwards, Verizon, uh, we're going to start training risk management, compliance. I'm like, I don't know exactly what that is, but you're going to pay me well, and I'm going to get to (laughs) use data. So I'm I'm on the team. I think a lot of times. uh, Oh, sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. I cut you off. No, I was going to say a lot of times when I've wanted to do something or I'm like, this is my dream job. Every time I, I've tried to do it, I'm like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. So I've decided to go with like be more easygoing and just whatever comes along, just go at it. Because when you think you want something, it doesn't usually work out that way. So it sounds <laughs> like
1: to me, you're a big proponent of personal branding when it comes to getting your
2: name out there. Oh yeah, yeah, um, no, you have. When I started posting my projects on LinkedIn and talking about it, it's weird, but it seemed like like I don't have data to prove it, but my my luck at work started to turn around because people start noticing things you post. I would the the NFL arrests, I would post it on LinkedIn. I would write a short description like, "Hey, did you know X, Y, and Z uh, has this many arrests?" Things like that. People comment, recruiters see it, people start reaching out to you. It's just little things like that that add up. So I think. Building your your personal brand is so, so important, especially in today's world. So you told that great story
1: earlier about the NFL data. Um, when you were in the interview process, um, did you ever have to – well, I mean, I know this. You probably had to do quite a bit of storytelling through data. So yeah. talking about the, the work that you've done.
2: Um,
1: do you find that relatively easy or difficult to do so?
2: I think if you, you have to prepare – and the way I prepare is, and I tell always people learn one project from beginning to end, from data collection to data cleaning, data manipulation. If you want to do machine learning, do some machine learning to how did you, if you productionalize it, if you visualize it, why you started it, why, how you ended it, what are the results? So I had learned. I had learned a couple projects because I had one HR project in case if it wasn't like HR analytics job. I had one with like loans and it was a for if I had like some finance department and I think I had one more and I had like my NFL thing that I, I loved for fun. So I kind of had three projects that I knew from beginning to end and any job, any question you asked me, I just talked about that. So I didn't have to think about kind of like uh, what should I talk about now? I just went to one of the projects right away, right? Hey, have you cleaned data? Yes, my NFL arrest data was very messy because I downloaded it from Kaggle. So I had to put it in, in Python and I had to clean up. There was some missing data, right? Oh, have you done machine learning? Actually, I tried doing machine learning on my NFL arrest data, you know? So you're constantly talking about the same thing, but you're just spinning it from a, from a different angle. And then kind of just becomes, becomes easier. Because if you try to think about examples all the time, it could get, it could get a little overwhelming. Uh, but also preparation is, preparation is key. Uh, you and have just, to practice. And just preparation through studying your own work. Just reminding studying you. Yourself, your, studying your own work. Do you ever work. go
1: back, do you ever go back to really old projects
2: and like revamp them? My NFL arrest, I've automated it. Like every, like, I wanted to learn how to uh, put things into like production and have it automated. Uh, so I, I went back to that data set and I just did it in R and then I set up some scripts to update every single day. Um, I, I I'm just, I, I try to take the easy, easy way out, basically. Uh, well, also- work,
1: work smarter, not harder.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because, right, if you're trying to, if I'm trying to learn to automate, I don't want to spend time building a Tableau dashboard and trying to automate it. I want to learn how to automate things. So I'm going to narrow it down to just as simple as that. And uh, it's a project I already know, so I'm not going to get overwhelmed by other things. And then I go from there. I mean, especially now we having a son, my time is very limited of what I can do things.
1: Well, interesting enough, Corey, you've got a kid coming on the way.
3: I do. Yes, I have a currently i have a 18 month old son and then nice. I, I have a daughter who in about 7 weeks i'll have a i'll have a daughter and that kind of coincides with um my job search that i'm just starting to ramp up so yeah, it poses an interesting problem
2: the, it's not when i started google my wife was 38 weeks pregnant oh, wow. <laughs> and i was interviewing with them and my so my we have a smaller house, so my wife is downstairs and I'm interviewing. And they're like, Do you have anything to tell us? And this is like my final interview. And you know? I'm like, My wife is 38 weeks pregnant, she's about to pop at any moment. If you're gonna hire me the day she gives birth, I need four weeks off, like my parental leave. And I hear from downstairs, she's like, No, why'd you say that? <laughs> you're like, You know, you're interviewing, don't tell them that right now. I was like, No. I'm going to be straight up, right? So I told them, I'm like, I don't care. I didn't say I don't care if you're Google, but in my mind, I'm like, I don't care if you're Google. Like parent, I'm a, am going to be a dad and this is my most important priority. And then I told them, I'm like, I need four weeks off. This is what I, this was at my interview and they said, no problem. Uh, we understand. Uh, we want to invest in you long-term, right? So then I was very happy because I'm like, okay, now I'm going to a company that cares about me. If they would have said, no, that's unacceptable. Then I would like, screw you i don't want to work for you anyways because then you don't value the things that i value you know and uh my son was actually late by a week so i was, i worked for about two weeks two and a half weeks and then one day two weeks into my job i i just uh emailed my manager i'm like see you in a month <laughs> it's it's about to go down
3: <laughs> that's cool um So what what are some of the characteristics that drew you to Google? What are some some things that you look for in an employer? Um,
2: As a first-time dad, I knew. So when I was a product manager, I worked with data architecture, data engineering. I had to make sure everything was okay. I had a project manager to deal with. I had marketing to deal with. And during that, this was during the pandemic, I was on calls. So when you're in the office, right, you can get everybody in the room. All right, everyone let's get on the same page. When you're, everybody's in a different country, different time zone, different state. I was finding myself all day on meetings, right? It was just constant. I'm like, if I'm going to be a dad, I cannot be on meetings all day because one minute, my baby's going to cry. I need to go be able to go downstairs. So Google had reached out. I believe they reached out to me. Yeah. Um, and they set up a senior analyst position. And I'm like, this is perfect. Uh, One is because I was going back to like my corner. I'm just gonna do my investigations, do what I need to do, very limited amount of meetings. I'm gonna code, like I don't have to deal with people. So that was the number one thing. Number two, Google has a very good work-life balance. When I need to step away and be with my son, Unless I have a meeting, it's not a problem, right? I can do my work at midnight. I can do it at 5 a.m. I can do it at 6 a.m. whenever I want to. So that was kind of I saw that culture is is acceptable. And I think number three, I mean, we're all going to lie to ourselves if we don't say it's, it was like doubling my salary and more. So when you go to a company and you're trying to take care of your family, it's one thing. It's like, oh, it's not all about the money. And I'm like, yeah, you agree. Like, don't be miserable at a job just for the money. But when you like the job, and they're giving you a boatload of money compared to like what you're used to, it's a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah.
3: So um, with the you mentioned work life balance, what how do you kind of how does how do you kind of determine if the employer has a good work life balance, or how do you kind of measure that um, for potential employers, which you don't really know too much about. For so for Google specifically, I
2: use the Blind app. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. Yeah, it's called Blind, and you kind of sign up there, and a lot of people leave reviews, and they they kind of like a star system. I'm sure. I mean, there might be other apps. That was the one I used. Also, I I like to spend time on Reddit. I sometimes ask questions on there. Reddit is always good. I I find I'm a big pro- I like LinkedIn and stuff, but because of your identity is known people aren't always going to be honest, right? Nobody's going to, not many people are going to go on there and be like, yeah, my job sucks, you know, because your manager could see it. (laughs) On on an app where people are anonymous, they're like, yeah, this sucks. This is good. This is not, you know, so people are very honest. And the blind app was good because it kind of even talks about salaries and it gives you like, so if you get a job, you can negotiate better, you know, like, hey, this person, same position is making uh, the same money as me, you know. Uh, There's also another one for for pay. It's called Levels, I think Levels.FYI or something like that. It can give you salary ranges across some of the bigger companies. It doesn't have it for like small companies, but some of the bigger ones are on there. So you can see when you're negotiating kind of how much money. Um, Yeah, also kind of the culture, like no offense to anyone who works at Amazon, but I've heard of Amazon, like they really want to make you work. So like I wouldn't go to Amazon. It might not be true, but just word of mouth is Amazon's going to make you work more. Google has a very good work-life balance and so far it's turning out to be true. Uh, but you can't always know, you know. Your manager makes or bakes your job. If you can be at the best company, if you have a shitty manager, you're not gonna be happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, and cool. you can ask that. I mean, honestly, you can ask that. Be like, what time do you turn off your computer? Like, how many hours a week do you work during the interview? It's a, it's a very important question because I have my limits. Like, once, once five o'clock comes, like, I'm turning off my computer. I don't care what's happening unless it's like a like once a year emergency, then I'll stay on. If not, they can not wait till tomorrow. So, it's it's also setting boundaries yourself. Nice. Um, let's see.
1: Something else I wanted to talk about was. I think this is being recorded because this would be really awkward if it was live. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. Uh. So you went to Montclair University. Um, do you find yourself, um, referring to a lot of things that you learned when you were in school, or do you think that most of what you're doing now just comes from your collective work
2: experience? Um, I had a couple good classes. Like I had a solid professor that we got very lucky at Montclair who taught at NYU and he taught at Montclair. So I always say I got a a NYU education for the price of a Montclair State University education. And so Montclair is, a, for those of you who are out of New Jersey, it's a state, it's a public school. So very cheap compared to like the private NYU schools, right? Um, so a lot of the stuff that Professor Mamunov taught us is, I would say it's like top notch that I've, I've used on to this day. I think if you, even if you, when I've talked to him and I ask him afterwards, He's like, I teach you like like you guys are in graduate school. Like I don't, I don't treat you as undergraduates. So it was a very, I was very, very lucky for him to be there. I think that was a big even reason why I ended up doing analytics. I was a.
1: Would you say you consider him a mentor then?
2: Yeah. Like to this day, we stay in touch. I go back to his classes and he was such a great professor in a way where I had once an interview and he lives about an hour away from me and I was stuck on like a technical interview. And it was a Saturday, I remember, at 3 p.m. And he's like, drive down to this address. I'm going to meet you there, and I'm going to help you out. So, like, on a Saturday afternoon. And I remember him with his family walking around. And, like, he was he came to me, uh, and and he was able to help me with my problems. So, just, like, go- going out of his way, uh, it, was, it was very, very thankful for him. He's also so, the one who got me into analytics.
1: Right. So, for people who don't have a mentor... I mean what what is it what is is there a way to get in, how is a good way to get in contact with somebody who is a mentor is it just from from good networking skills on LinkedIn is it just you have to so know for, somebody For me
2: it was a professor who I was very happy with he had a touch. I think a lot of times the people make a mistake that they go out on LinkedIn and you find somebody who's 20 years ahead of you and you look up to them I think that's very tough because what that person's gone through in 20 years it's, it's easy to forget right i don't remember what i had for lunch yesterday let alone what happened 20 years ago getting out of college so when i post up on linkedin i mean not like i tell them like i'm not the best analytics person i'm not the best data scientist whatever you want to call it but then most of the linkedin creators and data people I am more recently gotten out of college, so I know what college students are dealing with. I graduated barely four mm-hmm. years ago, so I think the the biggest thing I've learned about mentorship, and I know this doesn't go with my Professor Mamonov example, is but like find somebody who is two two to three years ahead of where you want to be, and then and kind of have them be your mentor. So for me, it's one of my friends, Chris. Uh, he was at Microsoft. He was also my my team lead at UPS. He's that kind of three or four years ahead of me person that I always look forward to like, oh, this is what he's learning or this is what he learned. Now this is what I'm going to learn, you know, Um, because asking somebody who is now like a CIO or like a director of, of data science to to learn what they're learning. It's a very different skill, you know, because now they're managing people and they're dealing with like bigger issues. So that's not relevant to you. Right. Once you when you're an entry level person, you have different problems to deal with. Um, but how do you find that person? I think that's LinkedIn is, of course, a great resource a little bit. Uh, but also, once you have earned your first internship, first job, it gets easier uh, because you're working with people. I, 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 I like talking. And that was the perk. Like right now, as a dad, I love remote work. But if I was a person getting out of college, I would have preferred to be in the office, at least initially, because that's where you meet people. Oh, i saw your, you i saw your post
1: work. on linkedin a couple weeks ago that oh yeah i was just making person, like remote post. will never yeah. replace in-person work which Corey might have something to say about that because he lives <laughs> in the middle of nowhere yeah um, i will that if
2: you read the whole post i was joking about it I <laughs> yeah i was saying like basically if you I, my points on my post was if you're gonna waste time in person you're gonna waste time remote as well so to me it doesn't matter i'm, I'm just as effective remote as i was in the office but if you are just starting out i think it helps to be in the office at least a little bit right you don't have to like five days a week i'm never doing that again hopefully fingers crossed um so and i I, i'm remote right now and i and i love it but it did help me when i was in the office going out to happy hours with people and meeting them through there and just walking up to somebody's desk and be like hey i have no idea what i'm doing here like can you just help me out but it has pros and cons, but yeah, I'm totally, I'm hundred percent remote work friendly, especially with a little baby. <laughs> yeah. So you've
1: been working remotely for, for the past.
2: Since I've started at Google, I still haven't been to the office. I mean, it's about an hour and a half way each way commute right now for me. Um, but I still haven't been to the office. I'm remote. Would you say it's a, you don't feel like it's affected your productivity at all necessarily, or? No, no, I don't think so because I mean, you have to set your boundaries, but also I, in the office I was like going for a coffee break I would go to the gym I would go like walk around talk to people if I have five people sitting next to me like we're going to talk about sports we're going to talk about everything here you know when I'm doing work I'm doing work I'm going to get it done as fast as I can just so I can go chill with my with my family so
1: yeah makes sense yeah um so talking more about um first starting out in the space um I don't know if if You've ever done any resume work, but Core I know Corey was wanting to go over his resume a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Corey, do you have that available to share at the
3: moment? I do, yeah, and I have. Um, and if you had any it, questions, yeah, it's it's a rough draft. You know, I haven't really. I'm kind of going into this career services, looking to work on it, and there and there mm-hmm. are a few questions definitely that I have for you. Um, one specifically being that. <clears throat> Um, I've kind of heard a little bit about you, you might want to omit certain jobs potentially based on relevance to the job that you're applying for. And for me personally, I, um, since I have moved to a remote area, some of the jobs that I've taken, uh, in the last year and a half or last couple of years have not exactly been in the data, uh, world. So I guess just maybe your advice on that, whether or not I should omit that, um, especially being that I'm not exactly at entry level. Um, I'm s- maybe somewhat above entry level, but pretty, pretty new still. Um, um.
2: So, I mean, I don't know what it is, but yeah, I'll share what it. I, yeah. If you share it, we can go through it. I definitely have uh, some advice on that. Yeah. One of the first, the way I got into LinkedIn content creation and YouTube is, I was going back to my college, and every time people used to ask me for resume advice. So one night, I'm like, I'm tired of just repeating myself a thousand times, and I didn't have time to get on calls with people. So I made a YouTube video, and I just posted it, shared it with students, and it ended up – it has 30,000 views. Everything else has like 100 views of mine or like a 1,000 views. That one has 30,000 views, so people seem to relate to it. And I'll be happy to share it afterwards as well. But, yeah, we can definitely go through the resume. And a lot of the uh, the way I do my resume now, it's all because of what Professor Mamonov that we were just talking about helped me with. So <laughs> let's do it.
3: Okay.
1: Have you ever used any uh, resume review sites like Jobscan? No. No.
2: no. Um, always just from... My experience but i always do tailor my resume if i'm applying to a telco company i'm gonna try to relate my experience to that if i'm applying to finance i try to relate my experience to that it doesn't always work but if you could make it do that i definitely have i definitely have like three or four resumes with slightly different projects on it
1: and while corey is still getting this up i can not
2: help but notice you have fish there in the background i just got these fish yeah uh my son is very into um, is very into animals, and we like to leave the country for like five six weeks at a time. So a puppy was kind of like out of the question for us right now because just like the logistics of it. Uh, so I decided to get him fish. So he talks to them the whole. I mean, he babbles to them the whole day. So I love it. A little fun fact: uh,
1: I, I I back in high school, you know, they give you those career uh, tests that's supposed to tell you exactly what you're going to do the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, I got forestry. Apparently, because I, wow. I am, I, which I believe it. I'm big into animals, but yeah. um,
2: I don't know. Or <laughs> Maybe there's
1: some forestry data I can go out there and work with.
2: <laughs> hey, you could. I mean, there's a very, very cool stuff. I told my son, if he if wants to be a vet one day or something, I'm totally for it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Also, talking a little bit about like passion projects, would you, are passion projects in data something that you would still consider valuable in an interview setting? I don't. I don't know if you've ever
2: um yeah yeah i mean i think i just the more passionate you're about something the more you're going to love talking about it people want to see you happy they want to see you passionate about it and confident when you're talking about something it doesn't matter what it is i mean i've done actually i've done i had dashboards and i presented at interviews about national parks in america which ones are most popular which ones people go with rvs and stuff um what time of the year you should go to a certain park if you want to avoid crowds and stuff i have i had a dashboard on that so It doesn't really matter what the topic is. As long as you find a way to talk about it and you love it, it's all that matters.
1: Really cool. Really cool. Corey, you about
3: ready? Um, Yeah, one moment.
2: Okay. Yeah, so if you present and then present screen at the bottom, that should work. Mine is at the middle of my screen.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see your comment there. My bad. Yeah, I, I got it right here. So now we're looking at Corey's resume. It looks like you've got your skills section up top.
3: Um, I took out the, there was a, um, like a summary section. I I just recently took that out. That's
2: fine. I don't like summary sections. Yeah, I also Uh, don't like summary sections. It's like, oh, I'm very passionate about this job. (laughs) Yeah, we know. That's why you're applying. If you weren't passionate, you wouldn't be applying. (laughs) Uh, So I like, first, I love that you started off with the skills on top. I think a mistake a lot of people make is bury their skills at the bottom and people have to search for them. Like, right. I'm applying for an analytics job. I know forecasting. I've done financial analysis. I know Excel, SQL, R, bam. That's all you need to know, right? You don't have to search through my thing and trying to figure out what I've done or, um, where I go. Um, personally things like, I mean, I might have done it for like, so it looks pretty and like symmetric things like, being reliable i mean i don't know if anybody's gonna hire you because of that because i bet everybody says they're reliable (laughs) nobody's gonna say i'm unreliable um it's i don't know if it's a big deal right i don't know if i would turn you down for that but it's i I mean i'm not gonna be like oh Corey's reliable let's give him a job (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so you can decide kind of what you want to do with that um so before we were talking about, I don't know if that's going to make it in the podcast or not, but we're talking about, you said some jobs you, you're not sure if you should keep, you should remove. What did you mean by that? Um,
3: the most recent ones, so like Walmart and Har- Harbor Freight, because they don't really um, pertain to data. Um,
2: okay, Walmart. I, uh, yeah. So you went from Walmart to Harbor Freight and then? Correct. Okay. Oh, so then you did another one. That's not Walmart on top,
3: um, right? So. so my most recent one is I'm I'm the accountant now. But, um, but during the move, I my first job actually was Walmart, and it was actually midnights. So I was a manager on midnights, so that was kind of rough with with having a newborn. But um, it was it was all right. They gave me um I had patern uh parental leave, so that was nice, and um. But definitely it wasn't something that I that I wanted to do. It was something that, you know, I had to do in order to make money. Right. Yeah. So so um,
2: I wouldn't I wouldn't remove them because you don't want to seem like you had a big gap. Mm-hmm. I think there's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, I used to do my jobs when I started was pizza delivery and then valet parking. And I think what I would do is like you don't need five bullet points for Walmart. Mm-hmm. Probably maybe right. make it like three bullet points. I think with your experience, I don't your your resume shouldn't be longer than a one page. So fit everything into one page. Um uh, even for Speedway, LLC, district manager, make that smaller into a couple bullet points. Gotcha. Um I already I mean, but there's impressive stuff. Like let team of three professionals with 30 direct reports. Uh, I think that's very impressive, right? That's good to highlight, right? Oh, okay, I haven't, it wasn't the data necessarily, but I have leadership experience and leadership is very important. Uh, so be always be always proud, right? Don't mention like, oh, I know it's not related to data. No, I, I led a team of professionals with direct reports. Uh, I, I, I learned how to deal with people, right? When you work on a data project, uh, you're always managing different stakeholders. People who have different personalities. Some people want this, some people want that. And uh, that's how I relate my Walmart experience to this job with data because I know how to de- deal with different types of people, you know? So mm-hmm. when you're interviewing, you could always, if they ask you about it, you always could relate it. Find a way to relate it to data, right? Uh, as an assistant manager, Hyperfreight tools, don't like, right? you don't have to, don't go into like, oh, it's not really a data job. No, I monitored, I monitored sales data, I was used, I used this data with, uh, Excel in order to, to, I reviewed data, analyzed how the company is going to do. Uh, I saw what areas we were lacking. So all of a sudden now uh, you did work with data, right? You mm-hmm. weren't building the data, but you were using it. You were analyzing it. Uh, so that is totally okay. But uh, yeah, like I said, I would make that smaller. Um, mm-hmm. and so th- those are totally okay. Um, the other thing for the accountant I would pick be maybe a little more, um, uh, a little more detailed. Like when you say forecasting, what kind of forecasting did you do? Or what was the outcome? Or maybe highlight one project. So for example, I mean, I don't know what you did, but like I use forecasting techniques to improve our revenue by 5% or I, I was able to improve by X amount of, of dollars and quantify. Quantify. quantify, yeah, put numbers with everything. Even with the assistant manager and the coach at Walmart, if you do have any sort of numbers, use that. Like I love how you use with thirty direct reports. Maybe you know, like, oh, I was able to improve revenue by. It doesn't have to be like you know exact numbers. It could be estimates. Uh, obviously, don't lie, right? Um, but I'm sure you've had impact. So make sure you you highlight that and then you do quantify it. And uh, for the accountant, yeah, like I said. Um, if you talk about a with data migration like um I mean, I guess that one can't too much, but yeah, try to quantify it when you can, and mm-hmm. if you've used any tools like if you forecast it in R maybe maybe you say, oh, I use forecasting in r to try to to forecast uh financial result or something like that, so just a little more detail, I think that one for me is is pretty vague okay. um uh, the accounting job, and so what I like to do in my resumes. If you feel like you don't have enough, I mean, you have pretty good experience. What I also do is I have a academic projects or just projects. Don't put academic projects. If you're not in school, just put projects. Uh, and if you've done any tableau sh- work, if you've done any SQL, any work, put that in there. Uh, if that makes any sense. So, like I said, when I was applying for a finance job, I had my, I had my skill section. Then I had my. Project section and like predictive right. If your job, if you're applying for a predictive modeling job, your ex- work experience does nothing to highlight that you you've done pre- uh, predictive modeling. But maybe you've done it in your free time. Don't be afraid to put that. So I would put a new section, call it project section, and choose like two projects that you've worked on. Or if you haven't done those, make take the weekend and take some time and just do something and put that in there. Um, right go on Kaggle, find a data set, work on it from end to end, clean some data and put like project, project X. I worked on NFL arrest data. Um, I was able to predict which NFL players are going to get arrested. And this would help NFL teams by uh, avoiding these players and making sure like, you know, the team doesn't get affected by it. So something like that describing the project is very important. because ultimately, right, so now when you have that project section, you have you have the skills, which is SQL, R, forecasting, Excel. You have projects that you've done, and then you have work experience as well. Now you're, you're the full package.
3: All right. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, I do have a, my resume video I can share with you guys afterwards. You can check it out if you want. And you can just see how I've done it on there but no project is is too small right if you've done something whether it's a passion project, if you've done it for school uh, describe it in there and it, it it's treated as if it's a work experience right it's it's just as important to have done project that is to have worked
1: also I'll try to link that video that you're talking about down below the resume okay. your resume building video yeah um Corey, did you ever have have any other questions for ai
3: um <clears throat> I, no i don't think so i think that uh covered most of them um actually no i do have one more <clears throat> have you ever um like well, I'm sure you have, but have you? Do you often reach out to people? You kind of touched on that earlier. Cold messaging on LinkedIn, and um, do people reach out to you frequently? And, and do you think this is a top, uh, effective method in the job search, as far as like getting out in front of people? Um, so if you've
2: never met the person, you're not really connected. I, I don't think just reaching out cold to somebody and be like, "Hey, hire me," works. Mm-hmm. Um, I think making the personal connection if I know them as a person trying to reach, but at the same time be genuine right if you're interested in a job don't go like, hey you want to be friends you want to go for a beer if you just care about a job um, I I am okay with people reaching out to me but do it in a way hey go go so if you want to get into Google go on the Google job site find a job you like Look at the description. Make sure you're qualified, and be like, "Hey, Antonio, I've seen your work on LinkedIn. Uh, I know we don't know each other. I follow you on here. You know, you gotta schmooze a little bit. Give me a compliment. Your hair looks great. You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't compliment me, but. And then be like, I found a job on at Google. Here it is. They're hiring. I meet the re- meet the requirements. Do are you able to help me in any way? With with that, all I have to do is if I'm able to help you and I'm able to find the hiring manager or something, I can recommend you. Hey, Corey's great. Uh know him from LinkedIn. Here you go. Like, send your recommendation. That is takes five minutes of my time, and I see you've done the work. A lot of times people just reach out to me like, Hey Antonio, you're at Google, can you find me a job? Or like very I'm not I'm not going to go online and spend 30 minutes looking for a job, right? I don't know what you're good at. I don't know your experience. I don't know anything about you. So there is no reason. Like, how can I? Or like even, uh, so that's one scenario. Like, right, I can't spend an hour looking for a job for you. Uh, so you need, to, you need to do the work, right? I need to be able to help you out in five minutes or less. Uh, the second thing is, like I said, the qualifications is very important. Like if, if there's 10 bullet points at a job, you're the chances that you're gonna meet every single point, it's it's not realistic. So don't stop that from applying. You're right. If if there's a job with 10 bullet points, you meet like five, six, seven of them, then go ahead and apply. But minimum things like there was some person who reached out to me, Hey Antonio, I found this job. I, I cause they listened to my YouTube video. Say you told me to find a job, and here it is the job. Can you can you recommend me for it? I open the job description. It says like seven or eight years of experience. I look on their LinkedIn. They just graduated college. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> it's great that you did and you found a job, but yeah, I'm not gonna recommend you for uh, for the job that you're not even remotely qualified for. You know, so you have to kind of stay in the ballpark. Like, do your research. If yeah, if if your job you meet the minimum requirement and you you know like oh, in the preferred qualifications it says I need SQL. I've done SQL, and you you tell me that. Oh of course Corey, that's not a problem I'll, I'll I'll recommend you, even though we don't know each other so well from I think from that standpoint, if you do most of the work, I'm very happy to recommend from recommend people, but that's why also doing things on LinkedIn is very important as we said before, so then I can open your profile and be like, "Oh, look at Corey's GitHub. It's awesome, right? Because when you recommend someone, you're sticking your neck out for them, right you're putting your name out there. You don't want Corey to get hired tomorrow, and they suck. And then you're, they're like, Anthony, I told you, I thought you told me this guy's great." I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> you know. So if if I can see that you've done projects and you kind of know what you're, you're you're talking about, then I'll I'll be it will be easier for me to recommend you, right? So from that perspective, I'm totally okay with being proactive and cold, emailing people and trying to reach out to them. I honestly think that is easier than applying on Indeed. I've never gotten job through Indeed. Like, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. I know people who have, but just the amount of work that you spend on indeed and just the amount of competition, it's it's ridiculous. Like I was applying, I remember back in the day, I was applying for internships and it says like who you're competing against. It says 10 people have a have a master's in analytics. And I'm like, ooh, I don't even have my undergraduate yet, you know. So it was kind of like it was very tough. Um, so connecting with people, but yeah, like find a job, make sure you're qualified for it, write them a nice message. And make them do the minimum amount of work. Like, right? Don't make them do two hours of work for you. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense.
1: Makes a lot of sense. And I couldn't think of a better way to summarize the whole video. As we're approaching yeah. over the one-hour mark, I think we'll go ahead and uh, wrap it up here. So,
2: okay.
1: AI, Corey, thank you so much for both of you joining us on the podcast. Uh, it, I would assume the best way to reach both of you is on LinkedIn? Yeah. That works. Perfect. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having
2: us. See
0: you. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.